all to the 18th Four Idle Hands podcast. How are yeah. you today, Terry? I'm good. We're, we're finally coming of age now, so... Uh... I, I know we can do anything now. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I feel like this is just kind of like, what are we in the middle of middle of almost almost Halloween. I mean, and we're still. I mean, we're always going to talk about the we're talk about the lockdown. But it feels like we haven't made any progress at all in the last eight months. But there we go. It's, yeah, uh, not for that. Uh, we've got lots to talk about today, apart from uh, lockdown. Obviously, yes. we've got uh, Marcus Rashford. The rugby is back. Six Nations finale is this weekend. Yep. Uh, there's water in the moon. Uh, we'll also be covering the U.S. presidential election and uh, the passing of Eddie Van Halen, uh, one of the um, great uh, guitarists of our age. Absolutely. Uh, and our centerpiece is an interview with Colin Farker. Colin is the head of cinema operations at the Belmont Film House in, in Aberdeen, and he'll be telling us about uh, how they are getting on with uh, life under uh, COVID, and we've got a couple of album reviews, Terry. Yes, we're going to do yeah. Bruce Springsteen's Letter to You and The Gorillas' Song Machine, Season 1, Strange Time. It's a very long title, actually, when you look at it. It is quite a long t- title, yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. anyway, uh, interest record, we'll, we'll come to that later. So, lockdown, first of all, and um, uh, tears tears in my eyes, hearing about more tears. Well, it's all going to end in tears. There's going to be loads of puns with this. So, I think this morning, or tomorrow, actually, uh, Scotland is going to be announced which tears you're in. I imagine it's going to be kind of like the draw for the Champions League. Um, <laughs> they're going to roll out Ali McCoist and possibly, uh, who else could they have? Gordon Strachan, maybe. And they're going to have balls with areas in it. And they're going to pop you into the tier. Oh, it's Glasgow is going to be in tier Sounds three. like a lot of balls to me. <laughs> It'll be hosted by Dougie Donnelly or, or um, one of those. Dougie Vipon, that's the guy from Country File. But yeah, so tomorrow they're going to basically divvy it up I mean, I, it's interesting because I saw a lot of the bars in Aberdeen who who don't currently uh, supply uh, f- substantial food. Um, we're looking for for food partners and and things that they can do because there's a possibility that they may have to be able to only open inside if they can supply food, or possibly outside as well. So um, yeah, yeah it just shows uh, businesses have really got to think on their feet at the moment, Terry. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because. Um, it appears the last kind of couple of weekends that the city, the bars, the city have been have been quite busy actually. Um, from from sort of personal experience and comments from people, I haven't, I haven't been in, but um, you know, pretty busy all the time. Um, and nice to see pretty good, you know, measures being followed and social distancing. Um, obviously, they had a bit of a October, October beer fest last weekend, I think, at some places, which is a few comments about, or all those six guys from the same household. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, but but I think but I think Aberdeen learned his lesson though. I think that's that seems to be the way of it. From what I can see, anyway. So. I think so. I mean, I I saw a couple of uh, folk being interviewed from Lanarkshire on the news last night, and one of them was a guy, probably you know, a few years older than us, who was uh, you know been really kind of sourpussed about the whole thing that you know, couldn't go to a restaurant. And he couldn't have a pint with his mates. I mean, get real. I mean, this, <laughs> this is a lot more serious than you know mild interference with your social life. It is, and I mean, so I mean, so it's interesting to see how this goes out. I mean, I see obviously talking about the bigger United Kingdom and Wales has obviously gone into a a two week what they called a fire break, not not a it's a fire break they called it. Um, Northern Ireland's had a four week, so they had shutting of shops and all sorts for four weeks, which was kind of matched the Republic of Ireland. Um, and obviously England's had its local lockdowns in, in various areas and stuff. So, so it will be interesting to see what happens. Um, I, I'm sure there'll be lots of people upset. There'll be lots of negotiations with councils and, and different areas. And I see today even Dundee was one that was mentioned for for the highest tier. And is it tier four, which is like the total lockdown? I think that's back to that's the naughty step. Yeah, that's <laughs> that we're talking about. Some places could a couple of us could even be into that for a couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a bated breath tomorrow to see what uh, Nicola announces for us. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's uh, you know, in terms of wider point, uh, the uh, all these chopping and changes to you know rules and regulations, and uh, they do lose people on the way. People get you know fatigued by you know um, further uh, clampdowns on their 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 liberty, I suppose. And, um, you know, after a good start, uh, the Scottish government haven't exactly covered themselves in glory recently. I mean, if you look at uh, an opinion poll uh, that was out, uh, I think, yesterday about um, public confidence in the UK government's handling of the COVID crisis, it was sitting at 29 percent as an opinion poll. 
And, um, it, you know, frankly, I, I thought it was a bit surprising it was as high as that. But it'd be interesting to see if, if uh, the Scottish government's yeah. um, you know, confidence in them has, has uh, dropped significantly in recent weeks. Yeah, there was, there was a, there was a um, government minister on this morning who was, you know, they were harping back to the sage advice they were given, I think, at the, in the middle of September about, you know, the whole country going into like a small three week complete, a bit like what Wales has done, actually. Um, and you know, it was that advice ignored at the time, and it clearly was, and they've gone for a different system. And, um, and of course, the whole thing now is, and you saw it yesterday talking about the students, how are they going to get students home for Christmas? And, um, you know, who's Radio 5 presenter Victoria Darbyshire said, said online she would break the regulations for Christmas, having her family around, and then she had to backtrack on that, obviously. And she, um, she made the fatal mistake of, of making that public, didn't she? I mean, uh, I think <laughs> a lot of people will probably, um, you know, take saw the rules. Uh, I'm meeting up with, uh, you know, multiple yeah. generations of my family, and I don't care. I think so. And the whole point of the, you know, talking about the students having to be locked in over Christmas, I mean, that clearly isn't going to happen. I mean, Unless they put an armed guard around the student halls, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, they're they're going to be they're going to be heading for the hills pretty much middle of December on a, on whatever public transport they could get, and and you know, maybe they won't even come back. I mean, maybe it'll just be online, um, for which would be the sensible thing to do if we're all still in various tiers of things. But uh, yeah, and you know, uh, speaking of uh, sensible and uh, merging seamlessly uh, between uh, current affairs and sport. Marcus Rashford has had another good week, Terry. He has. I mean, uh, first of all, I mean, obviously he scored that fantastic <laughs> winner against Paris Saint-Germain. Um, drew a blank against Chelsea. But yeah, I mean, what a young man he's been. And you know, he's got his MBE now as well. So, um, although the only problem is that costs you an extra 15 quid if you want to get MBE on a shirt now, apparently. So, really? Well, yeah, if you want Marcus Rashford MBE in the back. I did think about that. Um, but um, certainly very positive. I mean, he's got. I mean, he's trying to push the government. He obviously ignored the, the the free school meals for the October holidays in England. Although I think Wales and Scotland have uh, extended that. I think so. Um, it just goes to show you what one person can do. Yeah, and uh, I mean, uh, the government are obviously trying to make a point here. You know that they've provided uh, adequate funding to local councils, but uh, you know, Marcus is also making a point and. Uh, Really, sixty million to uh, provide school meals for for kids whose families can't afford it. It, it. You know, in the greater scheme of things, it doesn't sound like very much, really, does it? No, I mean, consider how much money they're putting into other scenarios. And I mean, there was a story a few weeks ago about was it the consultants they were paying seven thousand pounds a day for the track and trace, and you look how much money they spent on that, and sixty million would be a just, just pocket change for that. So. Uh, but I think they've missed the boat now, and I think that's going to be another hit on the government's kind of credibility going into the winter time. And you know, uh, I, I think so too. And a man who's uh, maybe gone up in people's credibility a little bit is um, Jose Mourinho, who has uh, got a new Instagram account and uh, a very telling photograph, Terry, that one uh, that he published uh, over the weekend. Well, it was. It was him, I guess, in the dressing room. I suppose it was Burnley they were playing on Monday night. and It looks, it looks like they were in some sort of temporary dressing room. I looked at, oh, maybe that's just what Burnley looks like, but he was talking to the players, and every single player was sitting there, head down, looking at their phone, um, checking, you know, how many uh, fantasy league points they got or whatever. But um, and he was obviously gesturing that, you know, this is what he's up against, sort of thing. But uh, I mean, to be fair, I mean, I did. I've watched this Spurs documentary. I think it's on Amazon at the minute, and he comes across pretty well, and actually the team come across pretty well as well. I mean, um, so it, it was maybe just a moment in time that that's what they do. They, come off the game and they quickly check their text messages from loved ones and fans and all the rest of it. But, but yeah. you know, it, it's kind of indicative of player power. And actually, you know, you can link that through to, you know, Marcus <laughs> Rashford is obviously uh, using uh, his kind of soft power uh, to a large extent, but um, it, it does make these guys a bit uh, less manageable. I mean, you know, you couldn't imagine the situation you know, when Alex Ferguson was managing United <laughs> That a, a mobile phone would be allowed to be switched on in a dressing room, which simply wouldn't happen, would it? No, that would have been thrown at Beckham's head. <laughs> probably, <you know? laughs> I, would, I would imagine. But I mean, it's, it's interesting because, like, you know, documentaries I've watched this, and, you know, people like Hungman, the son, the Korean player, comes across as such a nice guy, completely dedicated, never has an ego to him at all. And, and what, what a player he is at the minute, actually. And, and Harry Kane, the same. And, and none of them. None of the Spurs players seem to be, apart from Deli Ali, he's the only one I think that's got a bit of an attitude about him, I think. But uh, no, I can see, yeah, that's just a modern player. I mean, their contracts, their media, their image rights, their their Instagram accounts need content, I guess. And 
Yeah. Can I just can I just say before we move on? I hate Spurs. <laughs> I, I'm just, just going to leave that there. All right. Well, I, I don't have a. I don't really hate any team, but Spurs are. I mean, they're okay. They're they're saving my fancy league uh, this year, so I can't complain too much. In that. I've never forgiven them for the 1981 Cup final. <laughs> That's. Uh, no. Oh, Ricky, Ricky Villa. Yeah, yeah, that one. We'll, we'll, we'll just move on. I think Terry is the best thing. And uh, we're moving on to uh, rugby. And rugby is back uh, with a bang. Uh, we've got yeah. the Six Nations finale this coming Saturday, Terry. This really feels like we've gone to sleep and woken up in an alt- some sort of alternate reality where the Six Nations is still going Indeed. on. <laughs> Six months later. I mean, I was thinking that the other day. The last games were in, obviously, because they were cancelled, I guess, in March. And um, Ireland obviously caught up with Italy last week, which was a pretty good thrashing of Italy. And this weekend, it's a decider, and it's actually come down very nicely to potentially the last game. On the, so I think it's going to be Ireland France on Saturday night. Yeah, and in Paris, the winner in Paris, which is the old Johnny Sexton drop goal yeah. from before. And it's England Italy before that, and unfortunately Wales Scotland are basically playing out for for fun really. So um, before that, there's no wooden Italy with a wooden spoon. England will certainly beat Italy, I would imagine. And then it's down to Ireland. I think they need to beat France. Uh, Well, uh, um, they've got a bonus point ahead of England at the moment, don't they? So um, uh, assuming that England get the bonus point win against Italy, uh, I'm not sure. It's maybe points four uh, or points difference, something like that. It's points difference. So at the minute, it's Ireland's favour, but obviously England might rack up. Twenty or thirty points difference against Italy. So, um, but then France didn't play very well against uh, Wales last weekend, and had a couple of couple of injuries this week. So, but uh, and it, and it was it was quite sad to watch certainly the Iron Italy game in Dublin with with no something like that with no fans whatsoever, which is normally such a passionate exactly game. yeah yeah. Um, because, because... I I do find it uh, amazing that Ireland are are uh, in a position to actually win this. I mean, to me, this year has been pretty <laughs> mediocre. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, you're right. I think this, they've been quite lucky. They've had a couple of wins. I mean, the Italy win you can't draw much from that, but. Um... I think the Irish teams and the certainly the, the Pro 14 have been you know thumping everybody else. I saw a, a B team from Leinster the other week <clears throat> beat um, one of the Italian teams 70 po- or 68 points to seven or something. So a bit, a bit of a walk in the park. They had Ulster been playing very well. So uh, no, it'll, it'll be good, but it will be a shame with no fans. I mean, again, I, I'll just harping back to football for a second. I watched uh, some of the Champions League last night from Russia and it was Locomotive Moscow. What a pretty full stadium. Yeah. In Russia, I mean, I, I mean, again, I, I don't know what their numbers are like for COVID, but you would have thought for the rugby they could have sneaked a few fans in, but I guess um, yeah, better yeah. be safe and sorry. Well, I think it'll be baby steps when, when it comes to it, and from baby steps we move on to giant steps, and giant steps are what you take, Terry. <laughs> when you're when you're when there's water on the moon, water on the moon, get that, police fans. <laughs> Is it still or sparkling though? That was my question. Well, I think it's frozen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> very deeply frozen apparently uh, they've they've uh, detected uh, uh, significant uh, significant amounts of water on the moon and uh, apparently it's at minus 230 degrees celsius terry yeah but i couldn't figure out why they've never seen this before i mean it seems to be this seems to be i guess they've been on the moon well when did they first land on the moon so it's late 60s so i mean it's been a long time exploring the moon so all of a sudden i think they knew this a while ago and just didn't want to break to bring it because obviously that Leads to other discussions about life and what what was in the moon before or or whatever. But uh, I mean, is it actual water though? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, I think they have um, uh, they have analysed uh, using mass spectro spectro. Oh, I'm not even going to try that. <laughs> using yeah, spe- use a, a, a mass spectrometer to to analyse the uh, light coming off uh, reflections from uh, craters. Uh, and uh, th- there was a possibility it might be a hydroxyl ion uh, in something else, but that's not the case. It is actually H2O that they, they have discovered and uh, decent quantities of it. But obviously, at minus 230, it's going to be a hellish job digging that up. <laughs> well, I, I guess it does open up the possibility of having a settlement on the moon, I suppose, at some point, because obviously if there's a water supply, <clears throat> they could somehow, I don't know, get Bruce Willis to drill into yeah. or something. Um, you know, some sort of drilling down to it and, you know, pump. I don't know if they would do it, actually. But, um, yeah, it does kind of prompt. Then, of course, you've got, you know, is, is there water on other planets like Mars and all the rest? But 
Um, yeah, NASA seems certainly very excited about it. They, they do, but they're easily excitable these days. And uh, we're not that easily excitable. Um, the US presidential election is coming up next week, but uh, Terry, does it really matter? Well, it's, Boris seems to think so, because obviously he, he would prefer, I think, a Trump win, because that might make it a deal for the for post-Brexit with Trump better. But I'll tell you a statistic, which I thought was amazing, I heard last night, that according to the BBC, 50% of Americans have already yeah. voted, uh, which I thought was phenomenal. I mean, so basically it's pretty much decided, you would think, then. Yeah, and I mean, um, uh, Boris Johnson's attitude to it is, is likely to be a bit ambivalent, because... Um, uh, the other elephant in the room is uh, the Brexit negotiations. And if the Democrats win, the uh, chief trade um, uh, sort of minister for the Americans is going to be a, uh, I'm assuming he's probably second or third generation Irishman who happens to be uh, the chairman of the uh, Democratic Friends, uh, Friends of Ireland. Uh, nice. So they, they're going to put the pressure on uh, the UK government to come up with a deal which does not in any way uh, violate, the term, violate the terms and conditions of the uh, Belfast Agreement. Uh, so that's why we're not hearing anything about Brexit at the moment, that um, uh, Boris is just going to sit in his hands until uh, next Wednesday morning. <laughs> but I mean, the, the Americans—they they have a system, so they basically cl polls close at what time? Sort of, at ten p.m. probably U.S. or Eastern time, whatever time it is, and they call it, don't they? That's their big thing. They call the election then, and um, I think they did that. Did they do that last time? They did. They did call it correctly. I think they said Trump would yeah. win. Um, but, but then they have these swing states like Florida. They reckon there's only going to be one or two percent, and it really depends on how many who turns out. And if the Republicans and the Democrats get their core voters out, then you know it's going to be even closer. But yeah, I, I mean, it looks like Trump's doomed, but I mean, he, he looked like he, was, he never thought he could win last time either. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Actually, look at the minute. Yeah, the COVID scenario in America could be pretty scary. I think so. Yeah. Um, uh, so let's move on from him uh, to a yeah. much more significant uh, American, well, Dutch American. Uh, we've recently had the uh, sad passing of Eddie Van Halen, uh, eponymous guitar hero of uh, the Van Halen band. And uh, yeah. th th this would be a guy you um, well would have been meat and drink to you when you were a kid, Terry, listening to that first album. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember listening to Van Halen 1 and certainly in 2. But, I mean, it was just like nothing I'd heard before, really. I mean, obviously, there have been Hendrix and all these sort of things, but I think the sound he made um, was, was just phenomenal. I mean, it was it was like nothing else at the time. And apparently, he used to play, they were playing their first gigs, he would play with back to the audience um, because he didn't want people to see what he was doing with the guitars. And he was doing, like, he was playing with, his, with both hands at the same time and just, just phenomenal. I mean, just. Uh, our first album just broke the mold, and um, I read recently actually their um, tour manager's kind of sort of biography about the first two or three years touring with Van Halen, and uh, it was certainly a good read as you can imagine. But um, yeah, what a guy! That was just fantastic. They, they, very they had a, a sensibility to them, didn't they? On those uh, certainly the first two albums, uh, there, there was just a kind of. Uh, Joie de vivre about the whole thing. It was just good time music. Yeah, and David Lee Roth obviously was a big part of that because he was the kind of front man. He was the California, the blonde hair, you know, you know, shirt off sort of thing, and um, you know, just you know, jumping off the the drum riser and stuff and everything. And I think when they switched to Sammy Hager, the, the, the music didn't change particularly, but I think that kind of presence changed a little bit for me. And um, you know, wasn't wasn't quite the same band, um, and Eddie Van Halen's guitar playing was was still fantastic. And even their, their sort of comeback album a couple of years ago was was pretty. Yeah, there were some you know, some good tunes awesome. on that. But um, you know, we we had a chat about this recently, and uh, I mean, my, my take on him is that uh, he didn't really keep uh, pushing the boundaries of his guitar playing, which was a, a bit of a shame. And probably the the last album I would say where he he was. Uh, uh, still exploring was Diver Down, and after that it became a lot more yeah. kind of yeah. um, FM radio stuff, really, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it was what hit me actually, which was quite funny, on the, must have been the morning after it was announced, on the BBC Breakfast News, they had loads of people put in their um, sort of videos of their kids jump, playing or jumping around to, to Van Halen's Jump, which, you know, I thought that song, people, people, everybody would know that song. I mean, 
they, they might not know Running With The Devil or, or whatever, or, you know, from I ain't talking from early albums, but they know that song, which I think is a fantastic pop song. And that, you know, in that he didn't even play guitar all the way through it. It was the keyboards and, um, yeah, brilliant. It was nice like, to see such a wide audience and listen. And all their albums went into the top 10 on streaming and download services for a, for a few days. Yeah, least, and, so. and he, he really copy. influenced a whole uh, raft of guitarists, uh, shredders that came after him. And yet... You know, he brought that kind of melodic uh, sensibility that a lot of them really don't get, uh, Terry, do they? No, I don't think so. And, you know, it was just speed. I mean, what's the one that my kids used to listen to? Avenged oh, yeah. Sevenfold. And uh, it was <laughs> just a lot of speed. And, but see, Van Halen had the songs, you know, Dance the Night Away and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, and Unchained. And stuff. So it was just, you know, good good songs, actually. Very, very good. They, they, knew, they knew how to deliver a tune and... And a show with him, and and I, I still can't believe they played in Aberdeen at one point. That, that's Black correct. Sabbath. Yeah, yeah. And apparently um, they were they were spotted so, in a, a chip shop later that evening, uh, <laughs> laughing at the smoked sausage supper amongst other things. You might be able to find somebody who went. To yeah, well, I, I think I've have, have had a few people in the shop who've been to it, so we'll, we'll see if we can get a match report from yeah. uh, from that famous gig where they blew Black Sabbath into the stratosphere. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So, but uh, okay, and then so on to our our chat this week. So we had a very good chat with. We Colin. did indeed. Yeah. So Colin is. Uh, so yeah, you so, go, Terry. Yeah. No, no, he's he's Colin is Colin is the head of cinema operations at the Belmont. So Belmont's kind of Aberdeen's kind of um, sort of independent cinema down Belmont Street, uh, and obviously they recently reopened after sort of COVID. Obviously taking the various precautions, and uh, we had a good chat to him about the state of uh, business. So uh, have a listen. Right, so uh, welcome to this week's uh, interview on the Four Idle Hands podcast. So this week we're pleased to welcome Colin Farker, who is head of the Belmont uh, Cinema, Cinema Operations in the Belmont Film House. And Colin, it's great to have the, uh, the Belmont Cinema back open again. But, you know, before we get to the sort of challenges created by COVID, so how, how did you get into this particular sort of line of business and what kind of films are made an early impression on yourself, man? I mean, it's... How did... Oh, um, it's going back a bit because I've been there for... Nearly 13 years or 13 years now. I started in oh, wow. 2007. So I uh, I came to Aberdeen in 2003. I'm from, from White Hills originally. And uh, I went to college and I went to uni and studied English Lit. And I met someone who worked at Belmont and I got a job through her. Um, and then, you know, slowly worked up various positions, was bar manager, was a duty manager, was assistant manager. Um various different job titles and now i guess i mean you actually got my job title right which i'm pretty impressed by because no one usually like, <laughs> amazing what you can find in google <laughs> yeah it's generally like general manager is kind of the job but head of cinema operations is a job title but yeah just slowly kind of did one job at a time and then 2014 my old boss left he we, we changed from picture houses to film house my old boss was dragged to a different picture houses site away down in Bradford and, and I was given his job and I am where I am. I mean, I did a bit of uh, I did a bit of film studies and stuff at uni as part of my undergrad. Uh, I eventually dropped out the film studies course at the time in Aberdeen. Can you hear that okay. now? Yeah, that was weird, like a like an ice cream machine. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe shift rooms, eh? <laughs> That's all right. Okay. <laughs> as long as we get head to the licensed music in the background, we're fine. No, depends what notes he plays, I guess. But yeah, that's true. But did you have a, an early interest in films? From, from obviously you said the film studies. I mean, what was kind of? I mean, I suppose you spend as much time as anyone else sitting watching uh, TV too late when you're 15 and you've got school the next day. And yeah, I guess I always like movies and culture and music. You know, uh, I wouldn't say I was a loner when I was a kid, but like. You know, summers indoors, mucking about with computers and, uh, yeah, watching stuff. And I guess I had a, the, my earliest memory of having, like, film collections and stuff. I suppose I had a cupboard of old recorded VHSs in my mum's right. most of which are still there. And uh, watching stuff like, you know, Taxi Driver and The Godfather when you're too young to watch them is, is probably... Okay. So what, what was your earliest memory of going to the cinema? Actually, I was trying to think of this today, but i got to know what mine was. Me too. What, what was yours? Well, so mine was the Towering Inferno, oh, wow. which was a <laughs> thanks, Michael, because um, it was a actually was it the Towering Inferno? Yeah, I think it was because it opened in a new cinema where I lived, where I lived at the time in Oma, and it was a big new multiplex of two screens, 
uh, opened and that was the opening film. And I can remember, that's the earliest film I can remember going to see. So there you go, whenever that was. Yeah, I, I remember going to um, Sound of Music when I was probably about five. And I've, I've had a lifelong hatred of musicals ever since because it seemed to be interminable. And my other, my other story about uh, Cinema and Monon is uh, I can remember uh, when Jaws came out, they had a sign up saying, coming soon, Jaws, and it never did, the cinema thing. Uh, <laughs> never did. And Colin, what about you then? What was your The time? first one I remember seeing, I think I saw Hook in a cinema up near Inverness or in Inverness when I was maybe, I suppose I would have been five or six, is it 91 or something like that? Okay, okay. That's... I mean, you, you probably loved that film, but it is a dreadful film. <laughs> <laughs> now, but I have a place in my heart for it, as you do with all these things. And I remember yeah. seeing stuff like uh, the 101 Dalmatians re re-release, I suppose it would have been about 1990 as well. I'm sure I must have been at cinema before then, but Hook's the first film I remember sitting watching in the cinema. Okay, okay, that's cool. Then. So, I mean, obviously the Belmont, you know, like most places, sort of shut in what seems like a long time ago in March and so how's, how's it been since you kind of reopened again? I mean, it seems that you've been fairly fairly busy or as busy as you could be, maybe? Yeah, as busy as we could be is probably a good way of putting it, to be honest. Like, the um, the first couple of weeks were really, I think, gentle was the word I was using, uh, and quite quiet. Uh, and then the second or the third weekend we did, we had a reasonably high capacities, and it's been okay since then. And, you know, when you say okay, that's, you know, like you say, as busy as you could be relative to doing nothing that we were doing uh, three or six months ago but it's been all right we've been hitting sellouts and some of the screens we're doing about kind of 30 percent of our usual box office last week we did 66 percent of the box office for the same week the year before which maybe that was a particularly poor year, poor week uh, i can't mind but okay it's been okay actually that's not, that's not... And, and what's been I mean, what's been popular since you've reopened again? I, mean, I guess Tenant was one that came out. So. Tenant struggled, actually. Um, the the Sofia Coppola's done well uh, on the rocks. Did did pretty well. And uh, I've I've been off obviously since Saturday. But Rebecca was doing okay. And uh, we had a, a yeah. Q, Well, we didn't actually show the Q and A because the BFI pulled it from the cinema screenings. But we had a, a special London Film Festival preview of um, Ammonite, which is Francis Lee's new one, and it was. Okay. 44 folk and screen one, which is just about at the top end of what capacity we can manage in there now. So wow. it's, okay. it's been about as good as it, we could have hoped it would have been. Uh, and obviously in Aberdeen, you think Aberdeen cinemas, I mean, obviously there's two Cineworld cinemas that have closed. I mean, does, does that push business your way or is that maybe not your market that people that would go and see a blockbuster of, you know, like an October quality kids film probably wouldn't be going to development? I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's true. Well, I mean, like it's, I mean, the kids film's an interesting one. It was a wee bit late for us to put um, kids films into the October uh, yeah. releases to try and pick up on that market. But I reckon like people are screaming for stuff to do with kids down in Duffy Park a couple of times and there's families all over the place. So I think we would have done all right had we shown stuff, but I mean it's hard to say. There's so much, there's so much things going on that kind of affects your your bellwether of audiences at the moment. It's hard to work out what exactly is having an impact and what's not. So yeah, I would say like in terms of you know seeing people coming into the cinema, there's a few folk who I don't recognise who have become very regular very suddenly, who I would reckon are or cinema to have come over. But you're right, in terms of our own usual audience, we are, to an extent, quite insulated. So, but it, I mean, it's hard to tell, you know, it's, as well as COVID, there's all the usual stuff like the weather and, you know, yeah. that affects everything. I mean, I mean, do you have a hardcore audience? Like you say, you know, you've, you've, people you recognise, people you don't, but I mean, I guess your audience that would have been going pre-COVID has kind of stuck with you pretty much then, which is, which is good to see, actually, if that's the case. Yeah. It, it, that people are still going. And... It pretty much is, and... Um, it's it's interesting. I think you know, the more casual um, audience is, is taking a wee bit longer to come back. Um, but a real like you know the hardcore hardcore, which is probably a couple of hundred people at most who watch lots and lots of stuff, seem to be coming more regularly than ever. I mean, there's a handful of customers who I've seen maybe eight or nine times already, which is okay. you know even for them it is attending a lot. And that's, I mean, that's great because it means one, they've missed us, but two, they really, really want to support us. And it's really tough, you know, like it's, it's lovely stuff. 
as they say. Okay, excellent. Yeah, so I mean, given the reduced capacity, Colin, and uh, I guess the restrictions on selling food and drink and whatnot, um, I, I take it you're reliant on other sources of um, uh, funding at the moment. And I know the British Film Institute have been funding some cinemas. Are, are you getting that? And, um, you know, are you going to get access to the sort of support offered to other sec sectors of the economy, you know, by the government? given, you know, the huge contribution that the arts makes to the UK economy? Um, so hopefully, this was the, is the answer. Um, BFI are handing out for uh, England and Scotland. The money went to Creative Scotland and they've started to take applications on how that, I think it was something like 3.5 or 3.6 million is divvied up in independent cinemas. Uh, I think the closing date's passed. It's not me who does that stuff. Um, okay. but I'm a little bit hazy on exact timelines but we're hoping to hear back we've got an application in for the wider company so it's us and we've got another site in Edinburgh um, and we should hear back by early November, I think it's something like November 3rd or 4th so hopefully, and we've also applied for a number of littler grants and then there's things like we obviously did a big donation drive in the middle of the summer which generated a bit of income as well which is really, I mean people were amazing in the response to that and all um so there is yeah oh. it picks it up and you know we need it at the moment to be honest we we, we budgeted that would be something like 50 percent of our normal box office and you know we're getting there we're not quite there yet in terms of total but you know the support when it comes we presume when rather than if but you know if is the amount of money that we get whether it's what we ask for or not um will be will be handy and it's about like I'm sure if you've spoken to any other businesses, you guys will know yourself, it's about looking at March and saying, how do I get there? And then worrying about right. past that when you're there. Okay, well, well speaking of March, I mean, obviously, the uh, No Time to Die, the, the Bond movie was obviously cited by Cineworld as a reason they, they closed until, until March. And But, I mean, what do you think about the reluctance of studios to, to kind of release these movies at the moment? And, you know... Um, uh, do you think they, I mean, I saw, I saw Kevin McDonald actually said that you know he thinks that people people would have gone to see the likes of a Bond film um, in November into December into the holidays when they have time. But was that a big hit? You think, or and has that then gone on to other releases and stuff? Um, I mean, I agree with I agree with Kevin. Like, I think the audience is there. I think they're waiting for content. I mean, it's it's difficult because you know the distributors have got to make their bottom line as well, and they've got a lot of money tied up in this stuff. And I get that, but. Um, I think the the issue as I see it is that I can't even work out how this doesn't repeat itself in April. And um, you know, there's yeah. still it's still gonna be untested. There's still gonna be very low audiences, particularly for big blockbusters, because presumably the likes of Cineworld won't have reopened by then. Um so in a sense you enter the whole same game again. Um we would have probably booked Bond. I think we would have. It would have done well. Um, I think we're lucky enough to be in the bit of the game that we can get a hold of different content, but it, it's still dependent on, you know, distributors needing to keep releasing stuff. Um, yeah. Because ultimately, folk won't, you know, if you have, you have tried to put on uh, older films and one-off screenings and novel stuff, and that's okay for Christmas and Halloween, but ultimately audiences want to see new films, and that's your bread and butter, so... Yeah, because the one thing, obviously, I remember when the you know, cinemas were going to reopen and the things they were talking about was obviously the Tenant film, which was, was good, and then at Disney Mulan, which was another one. And then, of course, Mulan, for one reason or another, went straight to the Disney Plus yeah. um, streaming service, um, which was disappointing because I, I would have liked to have seen that on a big screen, actually. That would have been a, a good, and I did, I did pay to watch it, actually, on Disney Plus. Um, you paid, you paid but, 30 quid? It was 20, but, but to, to, to defend that action... <laughs> Um, six of us, six of us watched it in three households because okay. my my kids <laughs> use the same Disney Plus login, so uh, there was two, two, and two. But uh, and I, it was more of an experiment. Actually, I don't think I would have, I would do it again. But um, yeah, it was just like I just think the Bond film is something that people would, would have certainly come out when we get to. I mean, we're obviously still in a lockdown, mini lockdown in different parts of the world and so on in Britain, but uh, they would have come to see that. I think, well, so. that's it. I mean, it's it's a it's it's strange how. This massive, like, globalized ecosystem is so fragile. To yeah, okay, the pandemic it's a big thing, but the fact that everything is hooked on the U.S. market and whether they can release there, and it's 
it's crazy. It, it makes you wonder if, in a sense, there's going to be any cinemas left in March for them to open to. Probably there will be. You know, you try have to look on the bright side of things. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm convinced the audiences are there. They want to come to the cinema. I think cinemas have much and such proved themselves safe. I, I don't think there's been any outbreaks associated with them as of yet. I might be wrong, uh, but I think people will come back and would. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, but um, uh, another thing that would strike you, Colin, is that, uh, you know, with all the turbulence that's caused by uh, COVID and, you know, really the, the changes in consumer behaviour that, that uh, have been occasioned by it, um, do you think that it, it's accelerating the rate of change in film distribution and maybe pushing more releases, you know, straight to streaming or subscription platforms? And, you know, if that is the case, what what... What niche can you see cinemas being able to defend successfully in, in the face of those changes? Um, I mean, it's the same. It's the same in terms of wider society. I suppose people were talking about the fact that home working all of a sudden was done in the space of a month, whereas that was a trend that might have happened over the next twenty years anyway. But there you go. There it was, and yeah. in an effect, it's the same for cinemas. Um, I mean, cinemas the last couple of years have had reasonably uh, successful takings, as far as I understand it. The last couple of 2019, I think, was the best year for quite a while. Um, and 14, 15, 16 onwards were better than the preceding 20 and all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden now we're back to 1982. Um, I, I read the stuff recently. I didn't read it this morning. Um, but it, it does help push towards, I mean, like our bit of the industry, again, we weren't that scared of streaming in a sense because we had that insular audience we always saw it as a bit of a partner we'd obviously done a couple of things netflix in terms of we'd showed stuff like irishman uncut gems they'd done all right the fact that something shows on netflix doesn't seem to affect our audiences in cinema which is a bit weird okay. maybe maybe because it's the age of our audience maybe the actual netflix advertising helps and then people go oh wait i'll go and see that but i don't have netflix so i'll go to the cinema i don't know um but for us, it, it streaming doesn't really affect our admits. We're showing rocks at the moment. Uh, it's, on, it's on Netflix um, and it's done, well, I mean, like, again, new capacities, but it's done okay. Um, it's done as well as you would have expected it to if it hadn't been on Netflix. So it's, it's like you say, it's about where you, where you kind of match yourself into those niches. And, you know, cinema has for a couple of years now, try to focus on the experience side of things and, and position itself as a luxury, a going out thing. You know, it's not the same experience yeah. sitting in the house. Um, and it's a, continu a continuation of that, I think. So we're, we're going there. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. It's, uh, it's obviously a lot cheaper to go to the cinema than to go to live music or the theatre um, for example, but the, the the flip side of this is, you know, you, you're you're kind of you're stuck with the film distributors that you have. It's not like you can pick and choose hugely amongst those. And you know, their business model is changing now because they're not just your suppliers; they're they're also your competitors now in the sense that they they can use streaming and subscription uh, platforms. And my own business is a bit similar to this in that I've got an independent record shop. Uh, for over a decade, we've had an annual industry event called Record Store Day with exclusive releases that you can't buy from the likes of HMV or Amazon or indeed from the record labels themselves. Do you think there's something in this maybe for film distributors, yeah, you know, that is a model that could be employed to support independent and small chain cinemas to, you know, basically give them some content exclusively for set periods of time to give them you know, a chance to, to uh, uh, you know, basically survive this pandemic? I mean, in effect, kind of what Netflix and Amazon have been doing because you get those films for a couple of weeks exclusive before they go on those big, it, it's not exactly the same, obviously, because they are going on those big platforms eventually, but you're, you're able to kind of pigtail on the pre-hype and get those films for a couple of weeks so you can make a bit of cash off and they get a bit of promo off them. You know, they get newspaper reviews, they get a core audience who sees it and then tells everyone else and then it disappears onto their platforms. But you're right, there, there, there could be a model on that. I mean, the way in my head you see it going is is some sort of like local link up and you try and show local films or something like that, which, you know, markets with local product. And when I say that, I mean, markets that aren't relying on US 
Hollywood features have actually, as far as I understand it, done quite well in uh, the, we're still in the middle, I was a way to say the post-pandemic, it's not the post-pandemic, but after the initial lockdowns and stuff, places like Eastern Europe, um, Korea, who are making homegrown films, are actually managing to get audiences back in better numbers. And you wonder if some sort of connection where exhibitors are going straight to makers and kind of skipping the distribution bit might be an alternative model to get people to come and watch stuff on a local level. Yeah. How, how sustainable that is forever, who knows? But, you know, not too much further, it's kicking about, I guess. Yeah. And I, yeah. I suppose the other uh, side of it is that um, you, you've got this massive... Uh, back catalogue that you can utilise for, for your programming. And, uh, you know, on, on that point, uh, BBC4 had been screening uh, the likes of Casablanca and North by Northwest recently. Do you think there's much of an appetite for seeing classic movies back at the big screen? Um, there, so there is, I think, at certain times of the year and when you've got reason to do it, but I don't think people would be at it, kind of, if you were rolling it over all the time. Um we had people asking for classic films at the moment. We've been trying to show newer stuff because generally it pulls better. But like, I think folk are in the desire of it at the moment because they want a bit of nostalgia and a bit of happiness to help them through this stuff. Um, one kind of weird thing at the moment is a lot of the content's quite, a lot of the movies that are kicking about are quite grim. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that sort of where we are today? People are feeling depressed. I don't know. Um, but we've had customers asking for, you know, a bit more nostalgia, a bit more happiness. And, you know, like North Carolina, that's a good example. It's a cracking film. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I think stuff like that works, you know, in the way that it's slotted in at the moment. I think if you were running it all the time, you'd get through your audience for it quite quickly. Um, and I'm not convinced it would keep people i might be wrong there, there's cinema okay. really good trade on on lots and lots of older stuff and you know to an extent we are one of them but i wouldn't see it being part of the like filling the program all the time you know okay it's funny you mentioned the irishman earlier i mean that that, that was obviously on, on netflix and i've seen that film I, i'm not sure i could have sat through cinema <laughs> i did film. Uh, no, I, haven't, yeah. I haven't i've not watched it in the house either like it, it, it took me three goals to get through it um <laughs> just because it was it was long and it was it was busy and stuff and and it worked perfectly in another film actually which i don't know if you've seen or heard of this one called greyhound by tom hanks well, the, it's um what's it about again it's about the oh, north atlantic convoy system Aye. and that went straight to apple tv whoever it was and that actually it was a very heavily cgi film actually I, I don't know if they just felt finished it after the pandemic and couldn't do the actual effects because it felt like a tv like you know the old tv movies you used to see back in the day they don't really make now but uh, it didn't feel like a, a film for cinema i don't think but um so they're starting to feel, they're starting to feel a little bit like that that's a, a yeah story. i mean i mean one thing you know obviously the development that was always i mean it's not I would say it's fair to say it's a champion of our Indian art house films, and but I mean, how is the the pipeline of actually filming those progressing? And you know, is there, given the fact that the worldwide production has kind of been slowed down or stopped in some locations, will that will that be an issue? Or? I don't know. It's the honest answer from that. Yeah. I mean, like you've got to think it will be, and you've also got to think like like how I mean, like you guys watch films, so I've watched films recently, and every time someone hugs in a film, I go. <laughs> you can't do that now, right? Uh, that's true, yeah. films that not only have to think around this stuff from a production and practical point of view, but they're going to have to tell a story and decide whether they can have hugging and whether that, does that date it? Does it not? Do we go back to normal 18 months and everything's fine? And, you know, and they have to think their way around these things creatively as well from a script writing point of view, from a acting point of view. And that's going to slow stuff down. I, I, the honest answer is I, I don't know how production is going with that. Like it's, it's not hope, yeah. hopefully well. Yeah, I, I also follow some people that do some work in the, in sort of Northern Ireland's film business, business, and they were filming some stuff recently. They were saying in the south of Ireland, and of course, the restrictions brought in back in there this week apparently have curtailed production on that, and of course, all the issues that the, the budget will have with that sort of thing. So it's, it's going to be delayed. But I imagine throughout Scotland, or I don't know, do they still film that thing Outlander in Scotland? Is that still a big? There's the big film, the big film studio now in the, the Cumbernauld, isn't it? The, yeah, they built a they built yeah. a big new one outside of it. Is that the one outside of Edinburgh, or did it never get done? 
Yeah, Ward Park Studios or something. So you imagine they must be getting on some sort of stuff. Like well, you've got so yeah, they have to adapt the same as everyone else, I guess. So presumably there's stuff on the go, but yeah. So, so as far as the Belmont, so what's what if you were trying to sell me to come to the Belmont this weekend or the next couple of weekends? What's kind of the what's the stuff that's going to be coming hitting the screen shortly then? Or? Come and see. Uh, we've got Cinema Paradiso on this week actually. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, oh. So that's on from the 23rd. Uh, I should know this stuff off the top of my head. I did it the other week. What else is on? There's another big... I've got Rebecca keeps running on and On The Rocks is, is back in next week as well. Um, so we've still got them. And then we've got I Am Greta is on. So that's an environmental... Uh, uh, that'd be good. So actually, that should yeah. be good. It's, I think it's in the wee screen though, so I think it might sell quick. And then there's a release of Akira as well. Akira, I told you that we weren't showing classic films, and then it turns that we're. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, so have you seen? All right, so you know, so I know we're as a diversion, but have you seen a film called Train to Busan, which is a Korean zombie uh, film? I, no, but we've got the sequel to that coming on for Halloween. Okay, so that okay, so the sequel that sequel shut down my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> And the reason that, the reason it was I bought it because I, I thought this is the DVD would already be out in the Asia, so I bought a copy of the DVD, not knowing it was coming here. By the way, sorry about it's that, okay. Colin. And because I bought it on eBay from a Chinese purchaser place, eBay decided that this was an illegal transaction and shut down my PayPal. Who then shut down my <laughs> I had to go. I had to go through and upload all these documents to say it was a legal transaction and everything. So I obviously haven't watched it yet, but it looks like a crack at Yeah, it, it, it looks good. I've had mates asking me about that. It's uh, it's hopefully going to do well. We've got it on on Halloween, and then I think it's back later in the week for a couple of shows and all. And showing, showing The Shining yeah. as well. And what's the other one? We've got some... We've oh, got another we streaming uh, exclusive from, you know, the Shudder Network, the horror... So they've oh, got yeah. one called... Oh, God, I'll meet you. What's it called? I forget. I'll remember later. I'll scream it out in the middle of the recording later on. So, so hopefully Halloween's going to be a, a bit of a success. Then you've got, obviously, moving into the Christmas film scene as well, I guess. But, uh, if that's still a well, thing this year, I guess. Well, Netflix have got, uh, I've forgotten, is it Santa Claus something with uh, Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn playing Mr. Claus? Oh, that, that's the, Christ, the Christmas yeah. Chronicles. <laughs> so I don't yeah. know if we'll get that on exclusive. Probably not. Right. <laughs> so what, what would be your favourite film my favourite be... ever film oh god hmm. I don't know I've got stuff that I've watched more than Predator is something I've watched more than anything else um, if, if it bleeds we can kill it Predator very much um, <laughs> is something that you know misspent late teenage years when I first moved through Aberdeen um, and I watched Big Lebowski last night Big Lebowski is another one uh, in, well Jeff Bridges uh, sadly was I think diagnosed with lymphoma. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, so I, I stuck that on last yeah. night, and that's very much a comfort, you know, movie for me. So I don't know. There's these, there's the comfort films that you wear like a nice old jumper when you're sitting in the house. You've got better to do. <laughs> um, my favourite film that I would have said from a technical point of view for a long time was always Apocalypse Now. Um, I really rate stuff yes. like Hunger. You know, the uh, Steve McQueen. Um, that oh, yeah. was for a long time the best film I'd watched at Belmont. You know, I always have these kind of catalogues in my head, like what's the best film I saw here or there, and what way do I enjoy that? Um, so something from that kind of list. And then there's always the childhood nostalgia things, like well, not Hook because you've rubbished it now, but, <laughs> but I, I, I love Jurassic Park, and uh, I, I still go back and watch the original Jurassic Park. Not not the shiny. Okay. What about you? Uh, well, I'll, I'll pick out two, maybe Chinatown and the apartment. Can't go wrong with those. Okay. And has anybody ever fallen asleep in a in a, in a yep. film in the cinema? I have like, all the way through. Not it. all the way through. Yeah. It. I was. I, I have. And I was talking about the other night, and I can't remember the film that had uh, Kiefer Sullivan about where they 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 bring people Flat back liners. to life. Oh, flatliners! Yeah. yeah. I went to a late night showing up on the Ormore Road in Belfast, uh, basically after a few too many beers and fell asleep. And eventually I fell asleep in the toilet until uh, <laughs> the next morning. So. I fell asleep uh, during Tom Waits' closing time, uh, which is like a, a kind of performance <laughs> movie. And I remember going to Citizen Kane just after it had gone back into cinemas. This would have been the end of the 80s in London uh, as a, a Sunday matinee. 
but a bunch of my mates were all hung over and every single one of them fell asleep apart from me. <laughs> Well, I, I watched the last week. I watched, so one of my favorite films probably would be Ghostbusters. I just love Bill Murray, actually. So that's why I love that. But I think of Bill Murray, and it's great. And, and all the old Clint Eastwood uh, sort of spaghetti westerns, I could I could watch those quite regularly as well. Actually, so a little bit Clint. Um, but what about music, film soundtracks, uh, Colin? Any particular ones that stand out for you? I mean, Michael, Michael doesn't like music. <laughs> so, as far as, as far as so maybe not Mama, Mama good, Mia. Bad and Ugly is a good shout, actually. I mean, that's one that always. Yeah. Since you're speaking about Clint, because the other connection there for me is, you see, there's always these like cultural link-ups. Like Metallica used to use um, "Ecstasy" walk-on yes. uh, song, so Sergio is there, and he's also in "Good, the Bad, and Ugly." I was having a wee listen to stuff before I came on because I, when you told me that you're going to ask me that question, I was like, "Oh God, I've got to say something shite. I'm not good at this." But like, actually. <laughs> There's quite a lot of stuff that's been good in the last couple of years, like things like, uh, you know, Mandy with Nicolas Cage, and uh, that uh, composer sadly passed. Okay. Really weird, yeah. big, drony soundtrack, lots of colours in the film, and like soundtrack sounds like that. But last couple of years, um, the Johnny Greenwood one for um, You Were Never Really Here is something that sticks in my head as being like, just really pulsy electro that's... kind of, what's the word, syncopated? Is that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, really fantastic stuff. But yeah, going back classics as well. Yeah. I think Big Bowski last night, all the Kenny Rogers and Bob Dylan and Jurassic Park with that kind of classical sweeping stuff going on, and that's um, John Williams in it. So okay, that's that's one thing I always think would be a very cool job because I remember going to see the Marvel, I can't what the thought, oh, the Guardians of the Galaxy. That's what it was. Who had a very cool soundtrack with very unusual songs that were very old and. Um, the person that kind of picks the songs for films. I don't know what that person would be called, but I kind of think that would be a good job, like in the movies, just kind of pick odd songs that fit scenes or backgrounds or whatever. It's, so it's weird because uh, for would... Guardians, it gave that's like the last. I'm glad you picked that one because that's probably the last that Marvel series I've actually seen, and it gave that film okay. a really kind of weird, you know, place in time because it was all like early '80s stuff, wasn't it? It was something uh, that was so weirdly futuristic. But I guess that's the vibe with comic book, isn't it? It's it's nostalgic and it's it's kind of retro sort of thing, but I think so. You know, I I really like the soundtracks for the Blue yeah, that's album, cool. yeah. recently one, and and obviously Michael recently had a bunch of vinyl releases of Ennio Ennio Morricone as well, mm-hmm. obviously when he passed on. So, um, but uh, yeah, people. I mean, film soundtracks. I used to always buy and listen to film soundtracks. I'm not sure if people really do that anymore. They probably just. I think they do, Jerry. I certainly sound quite a few, yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, I hope so. Yeah, I I like to listen to them, actually, so that's good. I think it depends if it's attached, Um, doesn't it? And, like, if if Johnny Greenwood, if someone like that's attached with, like, There'll Be Blood and and You Were Never Really Here, then I go and grab those and I'll listen to Spotify. But, like, generally, my head is that those songs belong with the film, you know, so that's the context they're in. But uh, there is ones I'll, I'll listen to the Vox Lux songs, Scott Walker songs. Uh, last year, although I've not actually seen the film, but the soundtrack's good. Okay, all right. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Colin. I mean, obviously, if people want to get interested, just head to the Belvin Cinema website. You've got all the information on there. What's what's all what's coming up, and how to book, and so on. And um, I think you've persuaded me to go back this weekend. Actually, so I need to think what there is to go. Yep. See. I, won't, I won't go see Cinema Party, so I won't be there. I'll still be in holiday, but um, I <laughs> appreciate the support in absentia nonetheless. <laughs> well. Said, well, thank you much for your time today. We'll, this will be up probably next week, so we'll give you a shout when it's up. Cool. Anyway, so. Thanks, Colin. Thanks, right. thank thanks Colin. Bye. 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 Very interesting chat with Colin there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, they are um, fighting uh, for for um, uh, an audience uh, against, um, like, lots of different things, like streaming, Terry, and uh, obviously you got Halloween yeah. coming up before yeah. too long, and uh, you, you can just download this stuff to your TV. But it's not not quite the same, is it, uh, as having the communal experience of getting the life frightened out of you in a dark room? No, absolutely not. And it's funny because one of the one of the films we talk about was uh, On the Rocks, which was Bill Murray's recent film, and um, it was uh, it was in the cinema for two or three weeks, and it's now moved on to the streaming services. And I have to say to my, I watched it on the streaming services, um, and it's a great film. But uh, yeah, I think there's a there's, a, there's going to be a, a nice kind of balance between films coming to cinemas and then moving on to streaming. Like the Irishman did the same sort of thing. So there's probably a, 
a sort of a gap for for both, I think, possibly. But um, certainly, if you get a chance, go to Melbourne. It's a lovely cinema, anyway. And they've they've got to do this. They've taken some great precautions, and it's, it seems to be busy, which is good actually. It seems to be people are going, and obviously the city world's closed, so uh, you've got limited options in Aberdeen, anyway. Now, yeah. So, but um, yeah, try and try and support Indeed. your local cinema. Wise words. And uh, we, we'll Absolutely. move on now, Terry, to um, our two album reviews of this week. You have been listening to the return of Bruce Springsteen. His new album is called A Letter to You. It is indeed. So and it's, it's an interesting album, actually, because one thing that really confuses me, actually, and I was thinking about this this morning, why, he doesn't, it isn't, why the album isn't called Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Um, there must be a reason for that. Maybe it's Bruce, maybe it's the contractual regulations so so basically this album um was recorded i think started in the fall of or the autumn sorry of last year so in his uh, new jersey uh recording studio um it was recorded over four days um which was um all recorded pretty much live from what i understand with some sort of over overdubs on certain bits and pieces and it certainly sounds that way uh, a lot of the tracks um and it's a very kind of it's a, it's a, it's a strange it's almost like the, the wrong album for the right times, mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but you know, it's a kind of album they should really, they really want to tour on. You know, they would really want to kind of get out and tour because it's, it's it's a very, you know, it ticks all the Springsteen boxes. There's trains, there's rivers. Um, I'm pretty sure at one point he was on the oh, ghosts. There was probably a dreams. There's ghosts. There was darkness. There was dreams. There was a thousand <laughs> guitars, and um, and it's all. I mean, I think there's a song on it called "Last Man Standing," which is a very sad story of this guy called George Stice, who was in his first band called the Castiles and he recently passed away about a year ago when, when Bruce was in the hospital when he died and, and therefore Bruce was the last man standing mm-hmm. from that band um, but I have to say it's a great album I mean uh, as, a, as a Bruce Springsteen album goes I mean this track's Letter to You Burning tr- the Trains I think it's very uplifting you hear that sax solos you hear the piano the drums from Max Weinberg it, it's just uh, you know absolutely fantastic three of the songs bizarrely were in fact one of them we played at his kind of audition in 1972, I think that was, if I was the yeah. priest, I was the priest. And, I, and, I, and you wonder why, you know, how, how that spun around sort of 40 years later into his, into his stuff. But uh, um, I think it'd be a fantastic album to play live. There's a, there's a documentary on streaming services as well, which I did watch, um, how he made the whole process and how he recorded it live and, um, you know, watching the E Street Band and Steve Van Zandt and, and uh, all the rest of them playing, you know, and I love the, watching the drummer. He's so upright when he plays and, um, just a fant- and as soon as they play, you know it's the history. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the, the uh, whole setup plays their strength, uh, really, doesn't it? Uh, uh, I mean, all these songs are propelled along by Max Weinberg, and um, uh, it, it kind of ticks all the boxes for for uh, Springsteen fans. Personally, I felt it was maybe lacking a bit in the tunes department, and mm-hmm. um, uh, I. I I kind of want more from a, a Springsteen album now. You know, I mean, the, the guy's obviously a gifted storyteller and that comes through with some of the songs here, but I don't really think he's had the bit between his teeth um, uh, of late very much. And I'd probably go back to something like Wrecking Ball for an album where he was actually really angry about something. And, and uh, that's kind of what I want to hear. Yeah. One one thing was odd about it. So he talks about um, what kind of prompted him to write the songs on the record, and obviously I can't know where he finished it. Remember he did the all that those nights yeah. at the on Broadway, and uh, so every night he was basically he was basically playing his book if that makes sense um, that he had out at the time, talking about the stories and all the songs and stuff. And towards the end of that run, he apparently came out of the theater, and it was quite a small theater, I think, um, so very intimate thing. And this, and he mentions an Italian. Child, kid, he said, so maybe a teenager handed him an acoustic guitar, and uh, he took the guitar home in the in the limo back to New Jersey, and a few days later he picked up a guitar and he started to write all these new songs on that guitar, and, he, and again he mentions this in the documentary, and I just thought, I hope he's, hope he's looked like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, it's, it's quite a big part. He he shows the guitar to to Steve Van Zandt, and he goes, "Look at this guitar, and it's great." And I, I played it, and you know, he's, he's he wrote some of the, several of the songs on it, and uh, inspired him to kind of get back into songwriting again. And um, but he never mentions who the kid was, or there's never a picture of him with him. And I thought, well, hopefully he will at some point. But it is very much Springsteen by numbers. But for me, that that was that's good. And uh, uh, yeah, I, and that's a shame we're not going to see him play live actually. And I did tweet something the other night. If I could be in a band. 
I think I would just be strong. <laughs> I think I'd have a tambourine. <laughs> tambourine or a triangle, maybe, a triangle. So, but, uh, so uh, not quite the other end of the schedule, but sure, this week we have the Gorillas, the Song Machine season one, which is then a slightly different take. It's a lot of yes, collaboration. Strange Times is uh, also called, uh, and then kicks off yep. with. Uh, uh, Strange Times featuring Robert Smith, and we've also got um, cameo appearances from Beck, Lee John out of Imagination, Elton John, St. Vincent, what? Peter Hook and Georgia, uh, and uh, Slow Tie and Slaves. And um, it, this is an interesting record. Um, it, it's uh, The Song Machine was originally a, a kind of YouTube uh, concept that they came up with where they, they basically... Uh, released the standalone songs uh, one a month uh, since January. And uh, they put all those songs together now, along with a, a few others, particularly on the deluxe version, which has uh, five songs that are on the, uh, the standard release. And uh, this is kind of like, right. to me, this is a bit of a return to form for them. That The uh, last two albums, uh, Humans and The Now Now, were probably a bit too specific in terms of what they were going after. But this is more... Plastic Beach Territory, and um, you've got uh, a whole series of um, excellent melodies from uh, Damon Albarn and good choice of collaborators in the main on these. So standout tracks for me would be Strange Times, the, the one with Robert Smith out of the Cure on it. Uh, also, um, uh, the Pink Phantom uh, with Elton John and uh, uh, collaborators on it. Uh, and that one is much in the mode of um, Stylo from Demon Days. It's got that kind of uh, gruff vocal from Elton, okay. which works really well. But um, the arrangement of the song around is very good. It's not it's not you know musically like Stylo. It's really just the use of the voice on it. Okay. Um, Aries uh, featuring okay. Peter Hook and Georgia could be New Order. It's a lovely melody and uh, plays to uh, Damon Albarn's strengths. And the last track I would probably pick out would be De Soleil uh, featuring uh, Fatumata Diawara. Uh, beautiful song. He, he's just got a gift for writing a melody. So uh, I would highly recommend this. It's not all fantastic, but uh, there's more than enough to enjoy. Okay. okay. And I guess the clue, uh, the clue is it's, uh, it says season one, so I'm guessing there's going to be... Well, I would certainly hope so. I, I mean, yeah. uh, this guy's been churning out great melodies now for uh, 25 years. No reason why he shouldn't continue. No, absolutely. So great. All right. So I think we've talked through a lot this week. I mean, just one thing actually. We had the third yeah. record store day this week. Um, so how, how do you think that went? Uh, well, um, it was obviously a difficult situation this year with um, you know the original event um, you know scheduled to take place in April and that couldn't happen. Uh, so it was split over. Uh, three months instead uh, from uh, August through to October. And um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think it worked well from the, the shop's point of view. Uh, it was easier from the point of view of cash flow and I suppose probably from the uh, uh, the customer's point of view as well that, that they could uh, spread their purchases really over three months rather than uh, just one day, you know? So, yes, I mean, I mean th that worked well. Some of the releases were better than others, but that's the same as every year, really, I think. Eh? Yeah, I guess so. I, mean, I, I, did, I, did, I did think it was quite good because, you know, it was, it was spread out. Obviously, it took away any kind of the queuing aspect of the way people, people you know, you'd organised it. People didn't have to queue. They came in. It was. They felt quite comfortable. There was no. I mean, I don't think anybody. I didn't see any shops that had queues running, sort of traditionally, sort of thing. Um, it felt fairly manageable. Uh, there was no kind of manic, you know, people. But is there, is there any particular items that have been short this year? I mean, I, I always troll eBay just for interest to see what's going for, but. I don't uh, no, I don't think so. I think it's probably uh, down to the fact that, well, you know, two things is probably less people in the market, uh, forcing prices upwards, but also most um, things were, were pressed in sensible quantities. I mean, the only one which would probably stand out as being, uh, you know, uh, hugely oversubscribed uh, that they didn't press enough of us, the Duran Duran uh, live <laughs> album. Diamond somewhere. Diamond somewhere or other. I can't remember what it was. Uh, anyway, um, there were only 250 for the UK, and, and that one did cause uh, a certain amount of upset amongst um, their, their loyal fan base because they obviously all couldn't get it. 
No, that's true. That it was, was the yeah. record yeah. one, wasn't it? The first one, wasn't it? Yeah, okay, that's true. I do. I did listen. I did listen to the other day to the UFO uh, live yeah. in Youngstown. Very good. Not as good as Strangers <laughs> in the Night, but well, I think they probably spent a bit more time on Strangers in the in the Night and. Uh, um, you know, there's a, a reissue of Strangers coming shortly and a CD box set of a lot of these live performances from the same week as that Youngstown gig. So it's really uh, a pretty good time to be alive for uh, UFO fans, I think. <laughs> and, 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 uh, Indeed, yeah, yeah. Well, um, Shot in the Dark, uh, I mean, frankly to me, uh, that distilled everything that you'd expect from, um, you know, ACDC over the last 25 years. I mean, they they seem to just have that one song that they can play in a, a um, crunching fashion, which is fantastic. You know, I mean, it, it's the one song they do play is a great song. Yeah. There's a bit of lack of variety about what they do these days, but uh, uh, it, it's great to see them back, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's all. That's yeah. all Till the next time, Trey. So.